Well, we are continuing this morning in our uh, study of everyday Jesus. And, you know, we've talked at length about this idea of, of Jesus, this Jesus who is, who is our everyday Savior, our everyday Christ. You know, we, we sometimes, oftentimes, only think of Jesus in that big divine sense, right? The Jesus who walked on water, the Jesus who, you know, magically, seemingly magically shows up out of nowhere, pops in and out of buildings and places, and, you know, he's healing people. He does all these, all these just miraculous and amazing things. And so it's, it's no surprise that we, that we think of Jesus this way. But there is also the ordinary Jesus, the Jesus that walked the dusty streets of Palestine, the Jesus who hung out with his buddies and, you know, gave, gave his friends silly names, you know, like he nicknamed Simon, he named him Peter, right? He pebbled a, to rock, you know. He was, he was a guy that, that had fun. He was a guy that got hungry. He's a guy that took naps in the middle of storms. Um, he was the guy that got sick of people. And so he went off into the wilderness. You know, he ran away. Like, Jesus, there were times Jesus was just like, I'm done. I'm out. He took off. We, we can identify with that kind of Jesus, right? Um, and this, this is who Jesus was. He was ordinary. Had a mom, brothers, you know, who thought he was crazy. Thought, you know, maybe they should you know, get him out of the public eye and maybe institutionalize him or something. I mean, they, he had, he, he was this normal, everyday guy. And we do ourselves a great disservice when we don't think about him in this way. Our faith tells us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And on this side of the cross, it's just so easy in our modern era to think of Jesus as fully God. And we miss out on the Jesus is fully man. And, and so it's good for us to be reminded of that. And in one of the places that we can get a good sense of Jesus as, as fully man is, is in this extended teaching here in, in Matthew 5 through 7 that is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. One of these famous passages in Scripture. And... As a result of it being so famous, it can become familiar. And because it becomes familiar, it can lose some of its punch. So that is why, as we read, we are going to read out of the message. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in this translation, brings back a little bit of the punch. It it sounds just a little bit different. So uh, we are going to be beginning here in Matthew chapter 5. In verses 21 through 26, and you'll be able to find this in your bulletin. It goes like this. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell, stupid, at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about, and about to make an offering, 
you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or, say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. This is God's word. So if you recall, one of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, in regards to Jesus' teaching on completing the law, right? Where he said, I've not, I've not come to, to get rid of the law, I've come to complete it, I've come to fulfill it. And we talked about this idea of include and transcend. How do we take the old and transcend into the new? And now Jesus is beginning to do that. He is beginning to give us these specific examples of how do we include and transcend. And so he starts here with murder, right? Now, all of us in this room, I am assuming, are innocent of murder. I'm guessing that none of you have murdered anybody. I'm guessing that the vast majority of us probably don't even personally know a murderer, right? Now, some of us might. Now, I've, I see, I'm seeing a couple of eyes going, nah, actually, I do. And That's right, we're in Flint. So, um, just like down in, in Detroit, in Ipsy, like there, we, maybe we do, but, but there's not, but murderers are not commonplace in most of our lives. And so, you get the command, right? Do not murder. It's like, <laughs> easy peasy, no problem. I cannot murder people, just give me coffee. Right? If I can get a little coffee in the morning, I'm not going to be going about murdering people. It's just, it really is that simple. Just, just a little caffeine and we're ready to go. I won't murder anyone. But see, Jesus says, yeah, we're going to include, but we're going to transcend. The inclusion is don't murder. The transcending aspect of this is he says, you know, I'm telling you, that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. He transcends it. He goes to that deeper place. What is, what is the deal behind the no murder thing? Is it just so that we don't go around murdering people? Like, is that really kind of so commonplace and normal that we needed the Bible, we needed God to come down and say, don't murder one another? I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like a lot of my atheist friends are out there murdering people. I've got a lot of atheist friends. They're not out murdering people, and yet, you know, they don't follow the Bible. Why? Because murder is just not normal. Mur murder is just not commonplace. It's not the thing you do. Someone wrongs you, and you just go and murder them. Like that, what? No. People don't just do that. That's not, that's not the norm. Jesus says, because murder here, murder is, this, is pointing to a deeper issue. Murder is pointing to what's going on in our hearts. And he says, if you're even angry with your brother or your sister, you have committed murder in your heart. I have two younger brothers. According to this, 
I have committed murder more times than I can imagine. If you call him idiot or stupid, you're in trouble. I can't tell you how many times I've called my brothers idiots. I cannot tell you how many times I've called my brothers stupid. I cannot tell you how many times... I mean, I refer to my son's friends, my son and his friends, as morons. Right? It's a term of endearment, but still, they're morons. And there are times when it comes out in anger. Right? According to this, you do know mur a murderer. And they're staring at you right in the mirror. According to Jesus, we're all murderers. Because there is not a single one of us who have gone through this life where we have not held anger at somebody, where we have not either said or thought, God, that person is an idiot. And a lot of times that's, that's watching the news. Let's be honest. Right? I mean... Guys, the standard is a heart standard. It is what is going on in here. When we include and transcend, when we, when we say, hey, don't murder, and Jesus says, we're going to transcend it, we're going to the heart, we're going to the deep place. It is, it, it, if, if you're even angry, that is a standard not a single person that has ever walked this earth besides a guy named Jesus can live up to. We all fail. We all fall short. It is what, can you imagine hearing Jesus say, can you imagine him? Here he is, he's teaching, he says, you've heard it said don't murder. And probably everyone in the crowd, the, the thousands of them are sitting there going, yup, check, I'm good, right Jesus? And then he flips it on him and says, if you've even been angry, you're, you're guilty. There must have been a collective groan. We don't groan because we've read this a thousand times. But this needs to sink in, gang. This really does need to sink in. This is a problem. Because none of us, none of us are innocent of this. Right? Paul, when he is writing about communion, he says, he says, you know, we shouldn't take and eat communion in a manner that's unworthy. This is the kind of stuff he's talking about. You see, Jesus gets specific here, right? He says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering. Leave it immediately. Go to this friend. Make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. What is our, what is our offering now? In Romans 12, it says our offering, our offering is a spiritual offering. It is, it is an offering of, of kind of who we are. Every time you walk into this place on a Sunday morning, you're, you're making your offering. When we... And it gets real specific when we start taking communion. Right? And so when we, when we, when we do communion, and we say those words of institution, that's the, the $5 words for that thing I say every single time we take communion, the words of institution. And one of the things that we always say is don't take in a manner that's unworthy, because that is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Don't take in a manner that's unworthy. What does that mean? It means that we have to check our hearts, make sure we're right with God and right with people. If you walked into this place on a communion Sunday and you're holding anger, resentment, bitterness in your heart and you have not dealt with your friend over that, you shouldn't take communion. Right? 
Jesus says, leave it. Leave your offering. I mean, he's talking to people who went to the temple and that were offering live animals. Right here. Can you, can you imagine the, the conundrum that this must have put them in, right? I mean, he's saying, hey, all right, so you've got, your, you've got maybe your goat or your lamb or maybe you've just got a couple of doves, whatever it might be that you're bringing. And you walk up and you're, and you're almost, you're in the temple court. Here you are, you're going. And then all of a sudden, your, your conscience is pricked. You're like, oh, that's right. There's this thing between me and, and, and you know, and Judah. Between me and Ezra. Between me and, pick, pick your good Hebrew name, me and Levi. There's something going on between us. Oh. So here you are, you're standing, you're standing there. It, it, was, it was not easy to go to the temple and to make an offering. It, it was hard. It took a lot of time and effort and energy and planning. And so then you show up to temple and you've got this live animal in tow. And Jesus says, leave it there and go deal with your friend. Really? Really, Jesus? Leave it there? Leave the sheep, leave the lamb, leave the goat, leave the, the doves, leave them just sitting there? You can't just leave them sitting there. They're going to run away. They're going to fly away. Someone might take them. So now i got to figure out what to do with these animals. You see, this is, this is not, he's not kidding around. He's like, yeah, I know it's a sacrifice. I know it's going to cost you something. I know it's not easy. But what matters is your heart. What matters is going on with your soul so much more than just doing the thing to do the thing. You see, that is what include and transcend gets us to. It gets us beyond doing the thing just for the sake of doing the thing. Right? We don't murder. He says, don't murder. So are we not murdering just for the sake of not murdering? He says, no. No, go deeper than that. Choose to not be angry with people in your life. Deal with those personal relationships. You see, this ordinary Jesus that we are seeking to follow is, is a Jesus who is calling us not just to deal with God. He is reconciling not just us with the divine. He is helping us reconcile ourselves even in relationships on earth, the horizontal relationships. And what is fascinating to me is he says, before you go and offer your sacrifice, leave it and go work that out with your friend and then come back and deal with God. Wait, what? Doesn't that even flip it? I mean, wouldn't like in an American evangelical Christianity, in our minds, we're probably thinking, no, I need to go get my Jesus on first, get me filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I'll go deal with that moron. Right? That's usually the way our mind, that's the way my mind thinks. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but I don't think I am because I'm seeing some smiles and noddings of heads and some guilty looks on faces. Right? Like, this is, this is how we, we think, well, I, I'll go get my Jesus on, I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, this will be great, then I can go deal with them. Jesus says, nah, go deal with them and then come back and deal with God. What an absolute, upside-down, flipped-on-its-head kind of thing is Jesus asking us to do here. So many of us will, will think that dealing with God is harder. 
Dealing with God is easy. Dealing with God is easy. God is gracious. God is compassionate. God is, God is love without strings. God is going to accept us. Even if we do screw this up, God is going to extend grace and mercy and compassion to us. Because that is who God is. The easy thing is coming and dealing with God. The hard thing is going and dealing with the idiot. Because the idiot is looking in the mirror. We've got to deal with that idiot first, then we can go deal with the person we think is an idiot. We, that, that's hard stuff. That is hard stuff. I remember, uh, I think I've told the story before, uh, but when it was, I, I'd gotten my driver's license, and I, I, my birthday is in September. And I, in our neighborhood that we lived in, um, was, a, was, a, was a horseshoe, right? So it just kind of made this U-shape, this horseshoe, out to this, to this major road, out to Hatchery Road. And, uh, and our neighborhood is old, and so there are lots of big trees, and, you know, end of October, all these big, beautiful trees drop all of their leaves. Yeah? And, you know, so it had rained. All these leaves had fallen. I am running a little late to school. I jump in my car. I'm like, gosh, turn left. Turn left out of, uh, out of the neighborhood at my street is going to be tough. Um, because we didn't have a light. So, but at the other street, there was a light. So, all right, I'm going to go over there. Just be easier. So I'm, I'm messing with my CDs, right? Trying to put it in, in back in that day, and I didn't have an in-dash CD thing. No, I had, a, I had a Sony Discman in a box on top of a sponge, and I'm, I'm got this giant book filled with CDs. I'm I'm doing all kinds of, right? And and here I am, and I'm driving fast down our neighborhood road. And I look up, and I'm coming to the end, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, 90-degree turn. Don't slow down and just kind of hit the brakes, hit the leaves, right into the mailboxes at the end of the street. But I'm late for school. Throw it in reverse, back out, take off, right? My car... Apparently, somebody was coming out of their driveway to work at the exact same time, wrote down my license plate, called the police, hit and run. I go to school. I come home from school about 5 o'clock. I'm watching TV, doing my homework. Phone rings. My mom answers. I hear, yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Click. Dan, my stomach goes into my throat. She says, so you were involved in a hit and run today. (laughs) Nuh-uh. So you didn't slide into the mailboxes at the end of George Land and knock two of them down? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but I didn't hit anybody. Yeah, but that's still a hit and run. We have to go to the police station. What? Drives me to the police station. The police, they were great. They were so cool. I was an idiot kid. The people whose mailboxes I hit, they're not pressing charges. But the one thing he said was, you need to go apologize. 
You need to go apologize. And let me tell you, my hands are still sweating, even to this day, telling the story. Because going to that guy's house and knocking on his door to say, hey, I'm the one that knocked on your mailboxes. I am very sorry. That was awful. It was awful. My mom went with me. My mom had my back. My mom walked me up to the door. But that, that is one of the most awful experiences I've ever had in my life. I had to go deal with somebody. I had to go deal with the fact that I had done a thing, that I, I had caused a problem. I, I really, I messed up big. And I had to go own it. And that was terrible. That was terrible. Not, not many things in my life have compared to having to go apologize to that neighbor. Because it's dealing with a person. You see, dealing with God is easy. Because God is going to forgive. God is going to be gracious. God is going to be kind. I have no idea how that other person standing across from me is going to respond. I don't know if... I, that guy might not have even known it was me. Because I don't, I don't even know if it was him that made the report. He might have decided in that moment to press charges. Could have happened. He might have, he might have made me have to fix the mailbox. He didn't because he figured I was an idiot kid and, you know, probably wouldn't do it right. He was gracious and kind. It's like, yeah, you're a kid. You made a mistake. It was an accident. He hit the leaves. I get it. I probably should have raked him up. He was gracious. He was so kind. He didn't have to be. He didn't have to be. And that is why dealing with people is so hard. Dealing with this whole, doing this whole thing of, of dealing on that horizontal level with one another before we go deal with God is the way Jesus flips it because we just, we don't know how that's going to work. We don't know what's going to happen. But all we can do is our part. All we can do is our part. Paul says in Romans 13, he says, live, live as Live, live at peace with everybody as much as it depends on you. It's the practical outplaying here of, of what Jesus is talking about. When we include the no murder thing and we transcend it to the, hey, don't even be angry with one another thing. Right? We get to that place now where all of a sudden we are dealing with one another. Because here's the thing. We are always going to get angry with somebody. It is going to happen. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how nice you pretend to be. When you are deep in your heart, somebody does something, you are going to be angry about it. It is interesting that there's no if in, the, in, in this scenario that Jesus lays out. When? It, it is, this is going to happen. This is part of being human. This is part of dealing with one another. But if before we come and make our offering, before we show up at the communion table, before we walk in, we are dealing with one another, then what happens is accounts stay short. Relationships stay reconciled. Things don't just spiral out of control and get to a place where they can't be fixed. And I'm guessing that most of us have those kinds of relationships Relationships where either someone's wronged us or we've wronged them. 
Our friendship has broken, and we haven't dealt with it. We said, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. And that has gone on for days, and then it went on for weeks, and then it went on for months, and then it went on for years. And now here you are, and you sit there and go, what a shame that I lost that friend. Imagine if we had included and transcended do not murder, to do not be angry with, with your brother or sister, and you would have just entered into the conversation and dealt with that person, that relationship still might be in your life. Do you see how this is, this is ordinary, everyday stuff? This is not high, high and mighty on the mountaintop kind of religiosity junk. This is everyday, dust on your shoes kind of thing that we have to do, that we have to deal with. Because every single day we are dealing with flawed, broken people who make us angry, who frustrate us, who make us roll our eyes, who deep down in our, in our gut we're just thinking, idiot. But if we deal with it, if we deal with it sooner rather than later, that relationship gets reconciled that relationship could potentially even be restored. And could you imagine how this world would look if Christians, forget everybody else, if just people who publicly proclaim that they are followers of Jesus did this before they took communion every single time? How would this world be changed? How many people take communion every month or every week and haven't done this, are, are walking in to their time of communion, holding bitterness and resentment and anger and hatred in their heart towards their brother or sister. Whew. How many of us, how many of us take communion every single month in this place? And, and there are relationships where we are harboring anger, bitterness, resentment. How many? I know there are times that I have, if I'm honest. I don't like to be honest. But it's true. This, this is life-changing, world-changing kind of stuff because it means that the people who claim that they are following Jesus are actually out in the world seeking to reconcile and restore relationships as far as it concerns them, as best we can. We cannot control the other person. We can control us. We can do what we can do, which more times than not starts with, hey, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? We can do that. And if, and if at the very least, each month when we take communion, that we would, we would use that as the reminder of, oh, that's right. Next Sunday's communion. I, boy, between now and then, I need to have a couple of conversations. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. So include and transcend. I don't, I don't think any of you are going out and murdering anybody this week. I really don't. I'm, I'm more or less confident in that. I probably think none of you are going out and murdering anybody. 
But the question before us is, the real question that Jesus calls us to is, are we willing to deal with that brother or sister, that friend who, who holds a grudge against us or who maybe we hold a grudge against? Are we willing to walk in and, and say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? Are we willing to do that work with them before we come and deal with God? Because God is going to accept us and he is going to love us in grace and compassion and mercy because that is who God is. But boy, we are missing out on so much if we're not doing the human part first, if we're not doing the horizontal relationship thing first. Jesus calls us to do that. It's a whole lot harder than not murdering. And it's not just about not being angry or pretending not to be angry. It really is about going out and seeking as best we can to reconcile our relationships as far as it concerns us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that this ordinary Jesus, this Jesus who walked and lived and talked and hung out with broken and imperfect people, that he has given us very clear, a very clear call in how we are to respond and live and move. We are to include and transcend murder. And that is that as far as it depends on us, that we will seek to reconcile relationships here on earth before we enter into our reconciled relationship with you. We thank you that we can know with absolute certainty that you are our compassionate, loving, all-gracious Father who will accept us with no strings attached. And what you want from us, what you want not from us, but for us, what you want for us is to also have earthly relationships that are reconciled. Because life is better when we live that way. And so would you help us to be a people who live that way? Would you remind us that we are to try and to seek to live in peace as much as it depends on us with our neighbor and with our enemy? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.